When I was a student at Southern Adventist University in Tennessee, Campus Ministries had made a CD, an album that had about 12 or 15 different musical artists on it, students who were there at the time recording various songs and special musics and it was very interesting to listen to. They had a lot of different styles and a lot of different uh, songs, some of which were written by the students themselves. And I remember my roommate and I enjoyed listening to this CD and there was a particular song that we just found confusing. It was written by the student themselves and it was very poetic had a lot of imagery and complex symbols. And every time we listened to it, we tried to understand a little bit more, tried to guess. Now, what is he talking about with the coniferous castles and, and, and the clouds? And what is, this, what is this all about? We enjoyed the, the tune. We enjoyed the melody. The words were cool, but we just didn't know what it meant. Well, time went on. Eventually, I graduated from school, and I happened to bump into the guy that wrote the song one day. And it was good to see him again. It was good to catch up. But I had something else in my mind. I wanted to know, what was that song all about? And so he started to explain it to me. He started breaking it down and going into what the different parts of the song had, you know, what they meant and what they represented. And I didn't have a, a complete picture of what it meant by the time he was done, and I'm not sure if he fully understood all of his own symbols or, or remembered everything in the song. But by the time he was done, I understood much better. And I could listen to that song again, and I could hear it with new ears, and I could appreciate it much more. Have you ever learned the, the story behind a song before? We sing a lot of songs out of the hymnal, many of which we have no idea the circumstances under which they were written. But then you read about songs like, It Is Well. Do you know that song? It is well with my soul. And when you learn about the tragedy that surrounded that song and how the guy who wrote it lost his four daughters in a shipwreck, and at the end of all of that, through God ministering to his heart, he could still say, it's well with my soul. I'm going to be okay in Jesus. And when you listen and when you sing that song, thinking about that story, it becomes so much more powerful. You know, the book of Psalms is a book of songs. And for many of them, we don't know the story behind them. And others, we get just a little glimpse before verse 1, a, a phrase or Two. But today we're fortunate to know very well the story behind the song. And I invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 3. Psalm 3. This is going to be the last sermon in our Scripture Songs series. I hope you've enjoyed the music of Esther Moy. I certainly have. But of course, she's not the only one who does Scripture Songs, there are many others. Um, who, who do them. Psalm chapter 3, written by David, and you'll notice before the, the verse 1, before it begins, it has a little footnote. Not a footnote. Uh, what's it called when it's, uh, it's kind of a header. 
but there's an even better word that is evading me right now. You at home are watching and you're, you're shouting it out at the screen, but I can't hear you, I'm sorry. So it says, a psalm of David when he fled from whom? Absalom, his son. Before we get into the words of Psalm 3, I just want to take a moment to remember the story. David, of course, was king over Israel about a thousand years before Christ. He was a good king for the most part, except when he was a terrible human being uh, at other times. You know those dark chapters of his history. Couldn't keep his eyes off of Shower Sheba, or what? I'm sorry, Bathsheba. It was modernizing. Couldn't keep her eyes off of her. Forced her to have an affair. We have a word for that. It's called rape. Um, through his position. Um, a lot of dark details there. Eventually, when she got pregnant, he tried to make it look like it was the husband, but in the end, he just sent the husband off to die. Uh, he murdered the husband through a clever military strategy, shall we say. Horrible, dark chapter in the, in the lesson and the, the story of David. A man who, whose heart... Had, great periods of his life was, was a heart after God's own heart. But here his heart was following the, the heart described elsewhere in Scripture that is desperately wicked. But nevertheless, Psalm 51, which we've talked about, referenced at other times, is his prayer of repentance. And he truly felt horrible for what he had done, and he truly tried to repent. But nevertheless, there were consequences in that moment, and there were consequences throughout the rest of David's life for what he had done. And we see this popping up later on when one of his sons rapes his sister. Um, it was a, another horrible story that is recorded in Scripture. Um, but David didn't feel like he had the moral authority to punish his son as he should have. David still remembered what he had done, basically the same thing. And he didn't step in and bring justice like he should have. And so the full brother, Absalom of, of, of Tamar, he resented his father for that. He hated his father for not bringing justice for his half-brother. Uh, two years later, Absalom actually ended up killing uh, this brother who had been the perpetrator of this crime because David didn't do anything. And Absalom became further and further estranged from his father David. David wasn't engaged in good parenting at this point in his life. And his sin that was hanging over his head even though he had been forgiven by God, the shame and the consequences and the reverberations throughout his life seem to have played a part in him not handling this horrible situation in a better way. And so his son, largely because of this and, and perhaps because of other selfish reasons, began to hate his father more and more, and Absalom began to get more and more influence. 
even when there was kind of a, a so-called reconciliation between Absalom and David, uh, there was this secret desire growing within Absalom. And Absalom began courting the favor of the people of the land. And pretty soon, Absalom was more popular than David was. And, I, and David, uh, Absalom was a younger fellow. He was, according to scripture, very, very good looking. David's now getting older. And the time comes when Absalom blows the ram's horn, or has someone sound the horn for him, and he calls an army together uh, outside of Jerusalem, some distance away. He calls an army together, and they begin to march towards Jerusalem. Word gets to David. David realizes this is bad. My son is now with an army a rebellious army coming to come kill me and take over the throne. There were still some that were loyal to David at this point, and David knew that he could try to make a, a battle out of it there in Jerusalem, but he didn't want to bring bloodshed and warfare into the city. And so David packed a few things, hurriedly got out of the city, and began to flee for his life. He knew that he couldn't avoid battle and he wasn't really afraid of it. He just didn't want to bring that upon Jerusalem. And probably in the back of his mind was the reality and the knowledge that in some way he had contributed to this whole situation. Have you ever felt the, the effects of your mistakes catching up with you? Have you ever felt the consequences for your poor choices, for your failures, and you've had to deal with them again. The ghosts of the past rearing their ugly head only to, to, to have to do battle with that again. David now is faced with this horrible choice, a horrible choice, and he chooses to, to flee the city and get out as quick as he can. And there were people who went with him. There were some trained warriors, a number of them, who stayed faithful to him, and they headed towards the Jordan River. They pause uh, at the Jordan River on the western side. They traveled about 25 miles to get there, moving as fast as they can. And it's night, and they need a rest, and so they lay down to take some sleep. While they're resting there, two or three hours go by, and a messenger arrives, and the messenger says, Absalom is after you, he has a big army, he's hot on your trail, you gotta move now. And instantly, everybody is back on their feet, is getting their stuff together, and they have to cross the Jordan River in the dark. And you've seen pictures of the Jordan River today, but I suspect it was much bigger then, since they weren't sucking all the water out of it at that time, like they do today. And so this was more of an ordeal than it would be today. And so they had to get everybody across the river in the dark of night, without flashlights, without the benefits of modern technology. And so they crossed the river, and by daybreak, they were across, and they continued on towards the fortress of Mahanaim. And it was along that road on the eastern side of the Jordan where David composed the words to Psalm 3. 
So with all of that in mind, let's take a look now again at the words of Scripture. Psalm 3, and we'll start in verse 1. This psalm actually has what they say call four stanzas, kind of like four verses if we were to sing it today. And then there's a little exclamation point on the end, as it were. The first stanza is David's problems. Second stanza, David's protection. Third stanza, roughly, David's peace. And finally, David's petition, and then a praise that's added on at the end. But we start off in verse 1 and 2 with David's problems, and they're big problems. Look at verse 1. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Boy, think about that. Who are the ones troubling him at this point? It's his son who's turned against him, and it's a whole massive army of people who were his subjects and now are his enemies. They have increased against me. Many are those who rise up against me. Many are those who say of me, there is no help for him in God. David has a whole lot of people who are against him. And I forgot the clicker. Could we go to the scripture, Ken? So I want to just highlight a couple of verses that, that tie into this here. 2 Samuel 15, verse 13, A messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after whom? Absalom. People are increasing against him. David, the hearts, they're not with you anymore. They're with your son. This was before he had to flee. And then we can go to the next passage also. This is as David is leaving Jerusalem. Notice what this guy Shimei said. As he cursed, get out, get out, you man of blood. This is Shimei mocking David as he's leaving in shame, barefoot, leaving the city. Get out, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. He's saying, the Lord is against you. And what does David say in his psalm? Thanks, Ken. Many are they who say of me, there is no help in God. He'd heard the taunting words he knew what people were thinking. And he knew that an army of thousands of men were after him. And like we said earlier, he probably was also thinking about his failures of the past. Now the good news in Jesus is that our sins are forgiven. Amen? Our past is, is blotted out as far as our guilt. But the reality is in this world, we can't erase our memories very easily of what we've done. And sometimes there are lasting reverberations, lasting ripple effects and consequences. And David is now experiencing yet another one of those consequences. And sometimes when we have messed up big time, we might be tempted to feel that God will not help us in our present troubles. Surely God would help us if this was brought upon us and we were innocent. 
but God, you know what I did. I know what I did. Everybody knows what I did. And so why should you help me? But David didn't give in to that temptation. He didn't believe the words of the mockers. Because notice what happens as we switch from David's problems to David's protection. He remembers how good God has been to him. Verse 3. But before that, I, I almost missed this, the word silah. And nobody knows exactly what this means, but it's some sort of pause or interlude or opportunity for reflection and really deeply thinking about what just uh, was before then. It, it, it may be musically that there was a crescendo or some sort of interlude or some sort of pause there, but it gave the readers and the singers an opportunity to reflect and think more deeply. And David had time to think deeply. And then he gets to verse 3. On the eastern side of the Jordan River, composing these songs, this song, perhaps even as he is running for his life, he says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. David, this man who had been in a lot of war, he knew the importance of a good shield. And God was his shield, had been his shield in the past when he had slain Goliath. And David believed even now, in that moment, God was still his shield. He also says, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. That was not a glorious moment for David, was it? A moment of shame and humiliation and fear. But he said, God, you're my glory. I may not have glory right now, but my glory is you. I don't know how your life is going right now. It may not be very glorious, but we can always take joy in God's glory and the fact that he loves us and values us with infinite value. The one who lifts up my head. This, this phrase, lifts up my head, relates to other passages of the Bible. Uh, in fact, Ken, if we could go to uh, another scripture on the screen. From Genesis. Interesting story. When Joseph was in prison there, he met a couple of people who used to work for the Pharaoh. And look at what it says. Joseph said, in three days, Pharaoh will do what? He will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And your place shall be Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Joseph said, your head's going to be lifted up. You're going to be restored to that position. And then look at verse 20, the next verse. It tells us exactly what happens. That next verse, um, and we'll go to, yeah, the next slide, perfect. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants, and he did what? He lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer. He didn't literally like grab his head and pick it up like that. He just said, hey, you, come on back to this position. You're going to be my cupbearer once again. Thanks, Ken. So David said, God, you're the one who lifts my head. God, you're the one who restores me who brings me back up. And, and we can think about this even today if somebody's walking along and they're just like this. 
they're probably kind of sad, maybe depressed, maybe ashamed. But God's the one who allows us to stand with our heads held high. Because he has covered us, he has cleansed us, and he has called us his children. And so David, in the second stanza, remembers who God is. He's our glory. He's the one who lifts our head. Verse 4, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. God heard his prayer. In a situation like that, it would be easy to think, is God really hearing my prayer? I mean, I'm running for my life right now. My son's trying to kill me. Too often we associate our present circumstances and we infer that that must mean that God doesn't care about us or that God is not there because my present circumstances are not good. And then when things are going good, well, God's shining his face down upon me. Must be living right. Had my devotions this morning, therefore that's why I found that quarter on the sidewalk. You know? We become too dependent upon reading the circumstances of our life that often have nothing to do with what's going on in our connection with God. God loves us and is is interested in helping us whether things are going good or whether things are going bad. And David knew this. David knew that his prayers were being heard. David knew that the righteous go through good times and bad times, even though he was going through a bad time that resulted because of his past failures. And then verse 5 is a powerful uh, verse as we transition to the third stanza, David's peace. Verse 5 says this, And I lay down and did what? And slept. Perhaps even just referring to those few hours of sleep he got before crossing the Jordan. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Daniel, when he was going to be killed if he couldn't tell the king his dream in Daniel chapter 2, had a prayer with his friends, and then he went to bed. He lay down and he slept because he knew... God was either going to save his life or he wasn't, but his life was totally in God's hands. We can rest at night knowing that God is sustaining us. You know, it's amazing just how God has designed our bodies. God has designed a brain that that keeps track of the important functions of our body even while we're sleeping. You never go to sleep, at least I don't, uh, and think, Boy, I sure hope my body remembers to keep breathing and my heart to keep beating. And uh, You don't have to think about that because your body, because God designed it and this sustains it, allows it to continue going. And what a blessing for those who do pass away in their sleep because that seems like the best way to go if you have to go. Just this last week, or recently, a man who was instrumental in sleep studies and a big advocate for sleep, he passed away about age 90, 91, died in his sleep. It seemed rather fitting that a man who'd studied sleep and advocated sleep for so many years could go so peacefully. But David knew, 
I can go to sleep. I can rest because I'm in God's hand. He's my shield. He's my glory. He's the one that lifts my head. He's helped me in the past. And he can help me if he so chooses in this present moment. I will not be afraid, now verse 6, of ten thousands of people. He literally had thousands of people after him. This is not just poetic language. This is reality. Previously, uh, there were two guys who gave Absalom advice on how to go about taking down David. And the the first guy said, you should just take 12,000 guys right now and go get David quickly. Um, So that was the light and fast approach with only 12,000. The second guy, who was actually uh, secretly working for David, said, no, 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 no. Why don't you gather all of Israel together before you and then go? So the army must have been even greater than 12,000 after David. But he said, I won't be afraid of 10,000 of people who've set themselves against me all around. I can put my trust in the God who sustains me, the God that has been my shield in the past. Being able to reflect on how God has blessed you in the past is always helpful going through your present troubles. And if you haven't seen how God has helped you in the past, then maybe you need to talk to some people that you trust who have experienced God's help in the past. Ask them their stories. You know, I have been so blessed as I have just listened to people's stories. How has God worked in your life? What has God done for you in your life? The power of listening is amazing. And as we're still as a nation, trying to wrestle out how to be a less racist society, a society that's loving and caring for all, I found that I have unlearned a lot of uh, falsehoods simply by listening to people and their stories. I've talked previously about the privilege that me, just because of what I look like, experience here in America. And as I've listened to other stories, it's helped me realize ways that I can improve what I do, ways that I can be more sympathetic uh, to people whose experience has not been my experience. The power of listening. So ask people about their stories, whether it's their story about racism in America or whether it's their story about how God has helped lead them in their lives. And then we transition to the fourth stanza, David's petition. David's asking for help. And he says there in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. It's not that God was sleeping on the job, but David is calling God to action. God, you've helped me in the past. God, you're my shield. God, help me now. Save me, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Now, this is kind of a a violent image to us, a little bit kind of weird. Uh, But what's David asking for? He's asking for God to bring total victory to him. And as somebody who literally is having people after him to kill him, he's saying, God, I want you to knock them down. Knock them out, God. Set me back in my rightful place. Come to my defense, O oh God. You're the only one I can trust 
in right now. And this is actually written in the Hebrew, it's in the perfect tense, which describes a completed action. So David is reflecting on when God has done this for him in the past, when God has helped him and delivered him from his enemies in the past. You have struck them on the cheekbone, you have done all these things. God, do it again. Give me salvation. Give me rescue from my enemies. And then he concludes, he puts that exclamation on the story. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. This is actually quoted in the book of Jonah, right as Jonah comes up uh, onto land after this fish vomits him up. And he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's kind of the pinnacle of the book of Jonah. And here we find the original David saying, God, I'm not out of the thick of it yet. I'm still running for my life, but you are my salvation. You are the one who helps me, and your blessing is upon your people. Selah. David could still think about blessings, even in the midst of such a horrible circumstance. Does God still want to help us, even when we've made mistakes? Absolutely. God stepped in and helped David. And it's still a sad story because no matter who wins, any loss of life is a tragedy. But God restored David to his throne. God stepped in and allowed him to reign a few more years before he passed away in old age. Do we have fear in our lives? Appreciated the children's story. If there ever was a moment for fear, this was it. But what helped David with his fear was his previous experiences where he saw that God could help him in his times of fear. Has God helped you with fear in the past? He'll help you in the present fears. Has he forgiven you of your past sins? He'll forgive you for whatever mistakes you've made this week. Has he given you assistance in the past? He wants to give you assistance in the present. Reach out to David. Excuse me. Reach out like David did to our wonderful God. I want to have our final scripture song be played. It's the entire chapter sung through twice. But now that you know the story and a little bit more about the imagery, I want you to just maybe close your eyes if you want to. Imagine what David was going through. Think about this, but think about it also in your own heart as it relates to your own struggles in your life at this time. Trouble. 
To hear the rest of the song, you're going to have to look it up online yourself. You can just go to YouTube, Psalm 3, Esther Moy, E-S-T-H-E-R-M-U-I. Or go to scripturesongsforworship.com. I've really been blessed by just the, the tunes that the Lord has given uh, this humble woman of faith. And uh, I've pretty much memorized the psalm just by listening to this song in preparation for the sermon. Uh, it's really easy to memorize scripture when you're listening to it. So today as we close, are you grateful for our good God? Are you grateful for how he has led you in the past? Whatever you're going through right now, at, listeners at home, viewers at home, whatever you're dealing with, I invite you to entrust your present circumstances into the hand of God. Give all your heart and all your life to God so that when we go to bed, we can say, it's in the Lord's hands. I've done all that I can do for one day. I'm going to entrust it to God. I'm going to entrust that he forgives me, that he, he leads me, and that he's going to lead me into a brighter future. Is that your desire? Then let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are just so blessed by your goodness to us. Even when we mess up, you still want to help us. You still want to provide peace and comfort in the midst of our situations. And so today, Lord, I pray that we will have the courage to stop trying to carry these burdens all by ourselves. Help us to, to trust in you and to give our worries to you, to give our situations to you, and to be willing to, to let you lead us and guide us into that brighter and better tomorrow. Lord, in a very practical way, this week I pray that you'll remind us of these words. Uh, Lord, help us to, to memorize more scripture, whether that's just by memorizing it, just by looking at it, or, or by listening to more songs and, and scripture songs. We pray that we'll have more of your word in our hearts, and we know we won't regret it. So we thank you for this day, for your love, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, you will be uh, dismissed. We're going to be exiting people from uh, the rear, and if you're on this side, you can go out that door, drop your offering in the plate, and if you're on this side, you go out the main front doors and go out that way. God bless you. Have a happy Sabbath, and stay in God's love.